Good morning. Gary's been following the lectionary texts uh, each Sunday through Luke 6, which is a sermon Jesus gave. It's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, much truncated compared to Matthew's telling of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to pick up in Luke 6. Um, last week, Gary talked about Jesus' blessings and woes. And we pick up with the most exciting text ever. Love your enemies. Thank you, Gary. Um, so what does that mean? That the Rams are our enemies because they beat the Niners, or the Dodgers are our enemies because they beat the Giants, or the Lakers are the enemy because they play the Warriors, but the Warriors usually win, right? Uh, of course, the Niners beat the Rams five times in a row and then couldn't beat them in the playoffs. Um, maybe it's just L.A. Yes. Just a quick comment. The reason I love it when Jesus says, love your enemies, drives them crazy. <laughs> drives the enemies crazy, yes. Indeed. Uh, my, my family did brackets. For the NFL, we've done this two years in a row, just fun uh, for our family. And my daughter, Zoya, and I picked the Bengals to win it all, against all odds. And then they lost in the Super Bowl. Let's, uh, let's take a look at this text. Luke 6, beginning in verse 27, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This just sounds like a recipe for disaster, doesn't it? Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Uh, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. I, I want to start by reading you a story. This comes from Eugene Peterson. He's the guy who put together the message. Uh, he has since passed from this life. Uh, he, he wrote several books. This book is called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And he recalls uh, this story from his childhood where the neighborhood bully Garrison uh, beats him up every day. It's like a, a scene straight out of a Christmas story. Have you seen, a, is that what it's called, a Christmas story? Yeah. Uh, we hadn't really watched Christmas movies in my house, and so this year over Christmas break, we decided to watch several. We probably watched five different Christmas movies. Uh, movies, and I introduced my kids to a Christmas story. Um, and so Eugene Peterson says, it was about the third day in school, Garrison discovered me, took me as his project for the year. 
I had been taught in Sunday school not to fight, and so had never learned to use my fists. I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew that about me, some sixth sense that bullies have, I suppose, but he picked me for his sport. Most afternoons after school, he would catch up to me and beat me up. He also found out that I was a Christian and taunted me with Jesus sissy. I tried finding alternate ways home by making detours through alleys, but he stalked me and always found me out. I arrived home every afternoon bruised and humiliated. My mother told me that this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it. I was also supposed to pray for him. The Bible verses I had memorized, bless and turn, began to be tiresome. I loved going to school, learning so much, finding new friends, adoring my teacher. The classroom was a wonderful place. But soon after the dismissal bell each day, I had to face Garrison Johns and get the daily beating that I was trying my best to assimilate. March came. I remember that it was March by the weather. The winter snow was melting, but there were still patches of it here and there. The days were getting longer. I was no longer walking home in the late afternoon dark. And then one day, something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends on this day, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing and taunting, working himself up to the main event. He had an audience, and that provided extra incentive. He always did better with an audience. That's when it happened. Something snapped within me, totally uncalculated, totally out of character. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized I was stronger than he. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me, at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good, and I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering and egging me on. Black his eyes, bust his teeth. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. So I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now the audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian upbringing and training reasserted itself. I said, say I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> and he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> so what does it look like to love our enemy? Uh, people respond to this text the way my children respond to uh, broccoli or spinach on their plate. Uh, no matter how much I explain to them the nutritional value of it, they still don't want to eat it. Uh, often what we want is not what we need. There's a vast difference between what we want and what we need. Uh, some would say that this good news is bad advice. Um, what does it look like to love our enemies? Uh, I was taking my kids to school the other day, and uh, on the way to the public school where they go, uh, there's a Christian school, and uh, a truck pulled out of the Christian school 
uh, having, I think, probably dropped his kids off at the Christian school, uh, this truck pulled out of the Christian school, and on the back, you know, like, the, the white paint you can put on your car, like, just married or whatever? Well, this truck, twice, really big on the back of this truck, it said uh, FJB, twice. And Zoya saw that, my daughter saw that, and she said, you see that truck with the paint on the back? And I said, yeah. And she said, you know what it said? And I said, I said FJB, I, I don't know what that is. And she said, it's F Joe Biden. They will know we are Christians by our love, apparently. Uh, what, what does it look like? Whether it's a political figure, whether it's a, a sports figure, whether it's a religious figure, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's uh, that person who hurt you. What does it look like to love your enemy, to, to bless those who hurt you? Now, I want to be really clear that, that Jesus is teaching on blessing those who hurt us, loving our enemies, for, forgiving others, does not necessarily mean reconciliation. If you have been abused, if you, if you have been in an abusive relationship, it doesn't mean entering back into that abusive relationship, but it does mean what does it look like to enter into the process and journey of forgiveness so that you can be free from that bitterness from that resentment. And so you can move forward into all that God has created you to be. Jesus says, if someone hits you, churn the other cheek. Uh, if uh, someone asks for your cloak, give them your shirt as well. In Matthew's telling of the sermon, uh, it says if someone uh, forces you to go one mile, go two. Uh, what does it look like to live this kind of life. Uh, there's a scholar named Walter Wink who came up with this idea of, called the myth of redemptive violence. And it's a myth that, that we live with, that we believe. It's the myth that if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you do something bad to me, I'm going to do something bad to you. You gossip about me, I'm going to gossip about you. It's, it's the old telling that we were given in the Hebrew scriptures, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. And yet Jesus comes along and says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Uh, Jesus turns it on its head. You see, when that, when that uh, law was given in the Hebrew scriptures, God was actually moving people forward in their consciousness, because the idea in the ancient Near East was if it's not eye for eye, it's eye for light. You take my eye, I'm going to kill you. Uh, you pop my tooth out, I'm going to kill you. And so God was like, uh, that doesn't work. So let's move you from here to here. And Jesus comes along and says, actually, God's best isn't that. It's forgiveness. It's uh, loving nonviolence. It's a, it's a different way of being human. This myth of redemptive violence, Walter Wink uh, says, in many ways stems from the Babylonian creation myth, which, if you read it, it's extremely violent. And Marduk ends up creating the cosmos out of the stretched-out corpse of his mother. 
And so in the, in the Babylonian creation myth, creation is an act of violence. And in the Hebrew telling of creation, we don't see a violent God. We see a God who creates a good creation, a good God creating a good creation and creating the first humans to love and serve and care for each other and the planet. And, and so we culturally ha have come often looking at the Babylonian creation myth and uh, that uh, violence is just in our blood rather than the biblical creation story that tells us we were created in the image of a good God. We're invited to live into this image of the good God. Uh, we, we, and we see this uh, trickle down all through culture, don't we? This myth of redemptive violence. We see it in our movies, uh, John Wick. Uh, name any action movie and you're going to see this myth of redemptive violence play out. That there's a good guy and there's bad guys. And uh, the bad guys do something bad, so the good guy does something bad back, and the bad guys up the ante, and the good guy ups the ante until at the end, finally, the good guy triumphs and all the bad guys are dead. Uh, but no one ever learns anything in, in this story. Uh, I mean, think about car our cartoons. I grew up watching cartoons on Saturday morning. Um, uh, you think about Popeye and Bluto. What's the story? It's never ending, right? It's a never-ending cycle of the myth of redemptive violence. And this uh, Bluto takes olive oil captive. Popeye goes to rescue her. Uh, Bluto beats him up. And when we think all is lost, suddenly a can of spinach appears that Popeye eats. Now he has the strength, and he beats Bluto up and rescues olive oil. Uh, but neither of them ever sit down to discuss their differences. Bluto never learns to respect the humanity of olive oil. Popeye never learns, maybe I should eat the spinach before the first fight. Uh, it's just this myth of redemptive violence where no one ever learns anything. And our children are indoctrinated into this way of thinking. Uh, the amount of... Uh, images and shows and whatever's on the screen that we watch growing up. Uh, you hurt me, I hurt you. You do something bad, I do something bad back to you. And Jesus comes and says there is a different way of being human. And it starts all the way back in the biblical creation story of a good God creating a good creation and creating humans in the image of that good God to do good, not harm. Now these, these images of turn the other cheek and uh, give your cloak, give your shirt if uh, your coat is taken and go the extra mile. Uh, Walter Wink says there is an imaginative response here, an imaginative nonviolent response. So it's not passivity, it's active, loving nonviolence. You don't just sit back and take the abuse. And so he's, he's uh, putting us in the culture of the Roman Empire where Roman soldiers could easily take advantage of impoverished Jewish people. And to turn the other cheek, often if a Roman soldier hit you, he's not hitting you as an equal like this. He's slapping you across the face. And Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek. Show him that you are equal. 
and humiliate the Roman soldier, in essence, in that way. And this idea of taking one's uh, coat, this is connected to um, Exodus 22. It says, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. And this idea of taking a, a person's coat as a pledge to pay back the debt, think about like how long it might take to pay back the debt and how often you have to return to your neighbor every night to give the coat. It reminds you that you're in relationship. It reminds you that they, they are your equal. Uh, and in fact, in many ways, what this law is actually saying is don't take the coat because that's just going to be annoying, isn't it? Every morning you go to take it. Every night you have to bring it back. Uh, and so... Going the extra mile, it was, it was Roman law that a Roman soldier could come up to you, give you his gear and say, carry this for me. And the law said you had to carry it for a mile. Jesus says, carry it two miles. Now, the law also stated that you couldn't take advantage of this law. You couldn't make a person carry it more than a mile. And so if you said, hey, I'm going to carry it another mile, you've just put the Roman soldier in jeopardy because now the Roman soldier is like, what if somebody sees this and thinks, I'm breaking the law here. And Jesus says, carry it two miles. Show him that he doesn't control you. I'll carry it another mile for you. What, what does that do in the face of power when the one on the underside of power says, I'll not only carry it one mile, I'm going to carry it a second mile. The myth of redemptive violence keeps us in a cycle of believing that it's okay. If someone hurts me, I'm going to hurt you back. And this is just like our, our fallen human nature, isn't it? When someone hurts us, we want to hurt them back. And so what does it look like to immerse ourselves in the teachings of Jesus in a way that forms our hearts and minds toward love, toward forgiveness, towards kindness and compassion. Because Jesus understands that violence begets violence. Uh, you think of, of the Montagues and Capulets, or in Ireland, the Catholics and Protestants, or in the days of the Holy Wars, Christians and Muslims. Uh, it's just the cycle, the myth of redemptive violence. You hurt me, I hurt you. Um, so let's imagine there's two neighbors, uh, Joe and Harry, and they just hate each other. And Joe does one thing, so Harry does another, and back and forth, back and forth. Joe builds a, a fence that is slightly over the property line, so Harry like knocks down a section of the fence and uh, sues Joe for putting the fence on the pro uh, too close to the property line, and, and Joe countersues Harry for destruction of private property, and 
just goes back and forth, back and forth. And so finally, one day, an angel comes to Joe and says to Joe, Joe, God has sent me to offer you whatever you want. You name it. Whatever you want. You want a, want a house on the beach at Stinson? You get a house on the beach in, at Stinson. You want a, want a house on the lake in Tahoe? You get a house on the lake in Tahoe. You, you want to be a billionaire? We'll make you a billionaire. You want a Ferrari? We'll get you a Ferrari. But here's the catch, Joe. Whatever it is that you decide you want, Harry gets double. So if you, you want the house at Stinson, Harry gets the house at Stinson and Tahoe. You want a Ferrari, Harry gets a Ferrari and a Lambo. Uh, you want a billion dollars, Harry gets two billion. So what is it, Joe? What do you want? And Joe hemmed and hawed and thought about it. I want you to cut off one of my arms. <laughs> This is the myth of redemptive violence. When you hate someone so much, you want to see harm done to them. And Jesus says, there is a different way of being human. Uh, that bitterness, that resentment that you are carrying around, it only harms you. And there is a different way of being human. There is a way of being free from that. It's not easy, is it? I mean, this is probably the most difficult teaching of Jesus, isn't it? Love your enemies. Bless those who hurt you. But this teaching will free us when we are able to live into it. It will free us to be more fully human. But it, it requires laying down our sword. Because we all have our swords out swinging, and somebody has to go first. Somebody has to put their sword down first. Because the myth of redemptive violence keeps saying, I'm the good guy in this. They're the bad guy. Because no, nobody comes along and says, well, I'm the bad guy. And I like being the bad Well, I suppose some people do. But uh, most of us don't just think, well, I'm, I'm the bad guy in this. No, I, I'm the good guy in this. They're the bad guy. Uh, Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years during apartheid in South Africa. And when he was released from prison, he started using language of us, referring to South Africa. Not whites or blacks, but us. And, and he started using language that unified or helped unify the country. Uh, and when you think about these great leaders who followed this pattern of Jesus, whether it be Nelson Mandela or Gandhi or MLK, they, they used language that unified. They used language that helped promote love, not hatred. They used language and, and they acted in ways uh, to bring about unity with diversity. 
Uh, unity doesn't mean uniformity. It's unity with diversity. There's always going to be diverse opinions. There's always going to be diversity in our world, and it, it should be celebrated. But unity and loving kindness in the way of Jesus uh, shows us a different way of being human. Because we're all in the same universe, living on the same planet, aren't we? There's this, uh, this experience that many astronauts have had. It's called the overview effect. When they get out into space and they look back and they see this pale blue dot in this thin atmosphere around it, they, they have a, a, a shift of consciousness of sorts where the, their eyes are opened to recognizing, oh my goodness, aren't we tiny? And we have these borders and these boundaries and these arguments and these wars and the, the, this happens to numerous astronauts where they're like, we just don't get it. We're this pale blue dot in an endless universe and we need to learn our common humanity in a different way of being human. Part of the problem with this is it might get you crucified. Gandhi was killed, MLK was killed, Jesus was killed on a Roman execution stake. Um, it, it might look like, when, when you're the one to lay down your sword, it might look like you lost. And this again goes to the counterintuitive teachings of Jesus, the, the least will be the greatest, the last shall be first. Uh, the teaching, take up your cross. What does it look like to lay down your sword and take up your cross? Uh, when, Je when Jesus is being arrested and Peter pulls out his sword and Jesus says, the violence stops here. We're not, we're not doing it that way, Peter. There is a different way how this is going to end. And it doesn't look like that. The, the cross, in many ways, is Jesus saying, the violence stops here. This is the long, hard road of discipleship. Saying no to keeping the cycle of violence going. Take up your cross. Put down your sword. Uh, who, who will stop the violence? Who will be the one in the argument, in uh, the dispute, to put down their sword? I wonder for us today, are, are we able to see the image of God in our enemy? Are, are we able to see the image of God in the one who hurt us? Are we able to actually bless those who hurt us? Um, it, it's very difficult to hold bitter and bitterness and resentment towards someone when you pray for them. And maybe you're not there. Maybe you can't pray for that person. 
I wonder what does it look like to just with open hands entrust that person to God? God, I don't want to carry around this bitterness, this resentment any longer. I entrust this person to you because the bitterness, the resentment, it, I recognize how unhealthy that is, me carrying that around. Because hurt people hurt people. And when we carry that hurt, that bitterness, that resentment around, it, it trickles down, doesn't it? And, and other people get that bitterness and that resentment. And so this morning, as we come to the table and partake of the bread and the cup, where Jesus says the violence stops here, uh, I wonder for you as you take the bread and dip it in the cup, uh, what does it look like for you to leave your sword, set down your sword, and, and pick up the bread and cup, this sim simple symbol of taking up your cross and saying yes to Jesus again. Because saying yes to Jesus is not a one-time event. It's every day. We have the opportunity, we have the invitation to say yes to Jesus again, to say no to the myth of redemptive violence, say no to the sword, lay down our sword and pick up our cross, this hard, long road of discipleship that says, I'll be the one to put down my cross, it, even though it might look like I, I lost. I will know inside that I have won because I'm finally free from that resentment. I'm finally free from that bitterness I've been carrying around. And then a year from now, a memory might strike and it comes right back. And that is not something to carry around guilt and shame about. It's just awareness. It's just simply, oh, <laughs> that's still there. That still hurts. And that's okay. Because, again, we get to say no to the sword. And yes, to this path Jesus has invited us on. This path of love. This path of discipleship. This path that says, uh, I'm not going to keep the cycle going. I'm not going to keep it going. I'm going to lay it down. This takes radical acceptance of grace because we can't do it on our own, can we? It is only by the grace of God that we can lay down our sword and recognize, oh, the story I come from is a good God who created a good universe and created me in that good God's image. I'm not a part of the Babylonian myth. I'm a part of this biblical story of God who is good and created me good. And I'm broken. I'm deeply flawed. God, please help me to lay down my sword as I pick up the bread and cup. Because on the night he was betrayed, if anyone knows what it looks like 
to love one's enemies. It is this Jesus who we follow. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup. This is my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The same Lord, the same Jesus, who on the cross said, the violence stops here, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you might say, oh, but my abuser knew what they were doing. Yeah. And I'm sorry for that. And yet, by God's grace, you can be free from the bitterness. You can be free from the resentment. And you can live into all God created you to be. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus, his love, his compassion, the example of saying no to the cycle of violence and the opportunity to say yes to freedom, to a different way of being human. God, give us the grace and the courage to lay down our swords and take up our cross and follow you. In the name of Jesus.